This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, however it applies. Um, obviously, weekends here in the offseason, you're not always going to get content. But with the NFL Combine, um, today the most draft-wise important workout we're coming. Um, we're going to cover the combine anyway. You, you guys know that. Um, we'll switch up in here today from Browns Digest through SI.com. Sean Stevenson, your host here, Jeff Lloyd, your local experts on all things Cleveland Browns for your daily delivery of all things dog pound. First things first, Sean, appreciate you coming along here. Um, today was a big day. Um, obviously, everybody talks about what's needed at the offensive tackle position. We'll get to that here in a bit. Um, but fun day is watching these big fellas just move. But Sean, um, obviously let everybody know who's not familiar with you. Um, this is one of Pete Smith's guys. Pete, we miss you to get that R and R that you need. But Sean <laughs> Stevenson, pleasure having you on the show, but thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, for you guys don't know, know me, like he said, my name is Sean Stevenson. I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, so just recently graduated school and moved back to Ohio, so it's really nice to be back to the place where it all started. Um, I write articles for Browns Digest, uh, formerly we used to be known as uh, Browns Maven. You can follow me on Twitter at Dog Check Radio, so that's D-A-W-G, most of you know, Check Radio, radio spelled as normal. Um, just happy to be on the show and really just talk more about sports, so that's why we're here. Uh, and it's, it's nice. I mean, you can hear it in your voice here. I mean, obviously, you know, younger folks have been schooled. Pete and I, the crusty old veterans, we just pop off whatever we want. But today <laughs> it was important. Um, the offensive tackle position here, and I don't want to hear this. And look, I love Isaiah Simmons. I do. But the key to the NFL in 2020 is the offense and getting everything humming. And it's not about signing veterans for twice as much as you're going to pay these rookies. But Sean, it got crazy today. We're talking about a guy 364 pounds, right a 5-1 flat. You know, this is a guy that back in the day would get picked on and nobody would care about it because he wouldn't be able to catch him. He'd catch right. him about three strides, beat the daylights out of you. Most Tristan definitely. Morris, the workouts, insane. Um, I do believe he tested maybe as the second, if not the first best tight end in this class. Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills. Really good performances today um, for their size. And a lot of years it would be really, really talked about well, but it's just part of this group. And then you throw in a name like Ezra Cleveland. And, guys, I've talked to you about this one. There's scouts that have been telling me this is a guy not enough people are talking about. Then you get to Austin Jackson, Josh Jones. Um, Jack Driscoll for Auburn is another guy I like. Um, big dudes and for, for uh, you know, your editor over there, at uh, Brown's Digest. Big chubby dudes who run really fast and crush things that come in front of them should go really, really high in the draft. I think these guys solidified that today. And Cleveland, you got to get in on this party. Yeah, they definitely got to pick up a, a tackle that is really important. You kind of you know hit the nail on the head. Me personally, I actually am part of that class that likes Isaiah Simmons a lot at 10 if he does fall down the board. Just because, you know, even though you can get a tackle high, it's always not a for sure thing with these college systems. A lot of them run that spread offense, so they're not really doing like traditional dropbacks or having a traditional style of play. A lot of them are already standing up. They're not getting in three-point stands anymore. 
teams are just running no huddle, uh, similar to like what you used to see at Oregon when Chip Kelly was there. They're always just dropping back in pass formation. So their learning curve is a lot bigger compared to, you know, when they drafted Joe Thomas uh, when he was there. But for me, I really am impressed with Makai Becton. I mean, running a 5'10 at 364 pounds is just absolutely insane. And his broad jump was actually pretty impressive, too. I mean, he jumped 9'5", and for a guy to be 6'7", and that big to move the way he did was really impressive in terms of his draft stock. But personally, I just really don't feel overly confident if he's really the Browns' number one guy because of the potential issues you may have from a technique perspective with him being that big, if he does need to really get out in space and keep a consistent technique, if that's, or, you know, maybe it's dropping back in pass protection, if he can, you know, really stay at a, at a good base where he's bending at his knees and not bending forward and kind of dealing with that fl- 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 flexibility. Sorry, got a little tripped up over there. And I kind of worry about the same thing with Matt Pert. He's the tackle from UConn. He has the longest arms in the draft. I think he had like 81, 82-inch wingspan or something like that. And when you get guys like that, you know, they're tall, they're big. But the biggest thing you always worry about was like their ability to bend, which is really important for your technique. Um, One of the things I came with, and look, for Becton, you know, I, I think he – that 40 may have solidified him where he's not even going to be an option at 10. Um, You look at the New York Giants where you have Daniel Jones who's in turnover-prone quarterback, and a lot of it's fumbles – and it's Dave Gettleman, and it's old school. You've already had Barkley. You've got some receivers. I think Makai Becton, the one thing he did today was take himself out of even the, the scope of the Cleveland Browns. Tristan Wirfs may have done the same thing, but still it's a possibility with quarterbacks and with Chase Young, Akuda, Isaiah Simmons, Derek Brown. You start adding up the numbers here, and you see it. But – for what they want to do and what Kevin Stefanski is bringing here, you know, you look at, you know, Will's tested well enough. Andrew Thomas, I mean, it's so weird to say, you know, Andrew Thomas at 10, you know, is that good enough? I mean, the, the guy did nothing. Other guys went to the senior bowl. Other guys got pumped up. Andrew Thomas just waited till this day, tested pretty well, moved pretty well. Um, if you want to shave a little weight off of him, you can to get some better movement. Then there's Austin Jackson. Then there's Ezra Cleveland. There's Driscoll. Like you mentioned, Pert's another one they like. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, people like, but it's it, it's the difference in what fits this offense. 10 and 41, I think you can get two guys here who fit what you want to do as far as, you know, the wide zone and, you know, tackles that can move and you want to be able to have, you know, a, a, a five-man offensive line where guys can get around the field pull, get down, get outside a guide, uh, you know, guard outside of a tackle, all that stuff. I I think that's what this showed. And to not have to go crazy heavy in free agency and spend for offensive tackles. I think this worked out really well for Cleveland today because, you know, there's going to be a bunch of options. There's going to be guys who fit here and that's what they needed. They needed this to be a deep group at the tackle position and it's just essentially lined up perfectly. Now, let me ask you this, because I've seen a lot of talk around Twitter. And of course, there's going to be some people that are more for it than others. Now, are you just straight for the double dip when it comes to offensive tackle, as in rounds one and rounds two? Or would you want to kind of spread out to get the most value? I think one of the things where you like, like a guy like Jack Driscoll, I don't think that's somebody you're necessarily going to have to worry about at 41. You may be able to go ahead and snag that at 74. Um Look, if there's something available, and look, it's going to depend, obviously, on free agency. Um, if there's 
and people talk about a grand Delpit or an Antoine Winfield. And we'll see, you know, well, not Delpit, but Winfield, we'll see how some of these deep, these safeties test. If you can get in an Anthony Harris, yeah, double dip is probably big because I, I don't think the rest of it is that much more questionable as more as it needs to be what is in-house needs to be managed better. Um, you're going to need some sort of wide receiver assistance if that's just keeping Rashard Higgins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ratley, Hodge, they have their roles. Um, the tight end, everybody keeps harping on it and harping on it. I'm not sure how you're going to solve that. I don't, I don't think you're going to solve it through the draft. You may be able to solve it through free agency, and it may not be sexy. You just get a guy in here who has a resume as a really, really good blocker. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not married to it yet, but I think it's lined up pretty well there if he can play. And this is where Harris comes in key because there's a lot of the Viking influence here. And with the Vikings essentially saying there's no, they don't think there's a way they can keep him. I think that lines up pretty well. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with the double with double dipping for the offensive tackle. Something I've really looked at is um, I do like p- potentially wills at 10. Cause I feel like even if there is a run on tackles, he's most likely going to be one of the two to slip because Tristan Wirth, basically being the best offensive lineman when it comes to the combine, he's going to shoot himself up boards after that performance by Beckton. He's going to shoot up. And I just think overall, when it comes to technique and NFL readiness, Andrew Thomas is probably up there at the top. I feel like either uh, either Wirth or uh, – well, not sorry, not Wirth, but uh, Wills is somebody that could slide down potentially. And I like potentially Matt Pert. If you can get him around 90, I feel like that's probably the best value you can get him because he's, he's more of a fourth-round talent where, you know, he's going to need at least a year or some time to kind of sit for a little bit. But, I mean, you still have Chris Hubbard under contract. There's no need to cut him right now in case you need to work somebody up. But I do like him by the fact he does have that long wingspan. He can keep people at a distance, and that really just gives him the ability. And he actually had good feet, too. That was really what attracted me about wheels. Um, they had a drill. I'm not sure what the exact name was of it was, but essentially it was a shuffle of – the coach points one direction, points the other to show their mobility and how, how uh, light they can be on their feet. He had really good short steps, but he had a really good solid base. Um, I definitely enjoyed him in that drill a little bit more than I've seen a couple other players. But let me ask you this. When it comes to free agency, again, to that 10th spot, if you're able to get, say, Cochran in free agency at a decent at a decent price and then maybe grab someone like Pert or um, someone in a, a third or fourth round that we feel with time could become a solid right tackle. Would you take Isaiah Simmons at 10 if you can get that set up? Uh, I, I just don't see how the Conklin thing works out. Um, this goes to highest bidder. And, and if I'm Tennessee, first thing, if I'm Tennessee, why am I keeping Ryan Tannehill? My, off- my whole strategy as a team is we run the ball really well. We pay really good defense. So if my choices are between Tannehill, Conklin, and Derrick Henry, why don't I just keep Derrick Henry and Jack Conklin? That's, you know, and Ryan Tannehill, he didn't do much in those playoff games. It was all about Derrick Henry. It was all about the offensive line. It was all about the defense. Uh, I just, and the thing is, for him to be a right tackle only, he's going to come in and be the highest paid offensive lineman on this team where you have Joel you have J.C. Treader, and these are the foundation of this offensive line. I, I just – and granted, you see where the CBA rumors and the talks are going. I get it. But but the other thing is, what makes Cleveland the highest free agent destination for someone? 
it's it, it's still hard to believe that, especially with a first time GM and a first time head coach in Kevin Stefanski. I, I think there's places where Jack Conklin could go and get the same amount of money with a mm-hmm. team with a better resume, a better history, or just stay in Tennessee where it's comfortable and you know get your fat payday. Uh, it's I, I I just don't see how it works out. And for me, I, I never want to put the big money on a right tackle. Right, and if and I I agree. It does seem like a tough sell for him, especially given the context of the free agency tackle market, which isn't really good. Uh, I mean, you got Bulaga, who's hurt essentially almost every year. Uh, Jason Peters, I mean, that man probably has one good season left in him, and he's not worth the money you have to pay for him. And I think it was what one more, uh, maybe Anthony Costanzo, but he's not probably going to leave Indy. And even if he does, he'd probably be retired, and they have more cap space available than us. So it does seem like a tough sell. So the the draft is really going to be huge in terms of upgrading that tackle position. Now, how would you feel about this scenario? Because me personally, I don't want to cut ties from Hubbard too long. Of course, you are paying him a pretty penny um, in terms of what his production is or lack thereof. But, you know, I would rather have him for one more year than just rush someone out there for the sake of getting him off the field. If they could get, say, someone like Natane uh, Muti, uh, he's the offensive guard from Fresno State. He actually put up 44 reps on the bench press, which is really impressive. And uh, I've been seeing articles about him being one of the top underrated players that most people aren't really aware of yet. But say if you get someone like him, he plays well in training camp, and you slide over, say, a Drew Forbes, would you feel more comfortable if they went tackle at 10 in like a Muti or a solid guard in the third round, something like that, if Forbes can show you what you need? Um, well, there's fours, but the thing is, is, you know, knowing the situation and Bill Callahan's favorite guard during the Wyatt Teller draft class was Wyatt Teller. Um, look, Wyatt Teller doesn't seem like a great fit here. Um, maybe Bill Callahan had a place, you know, a plan in place. We'll see how it works out. Um, I just, I think the outside is so much more essential. Look, as far as pass blocking, I think the inside with Wyatt Teller, you're going to get away with the pass blocking because with Baker at his height, you need the interior to be strong. You need to make sure that there's not going to be nothing getting to him, disrupting his vision, which was the joy of having Zeitler, which made that rookie year maybe as good as it was. But I think you know Teller can give you that, and maybe you'll live with the run block as long as Baker doesn't have to worry about what's coming around the edges. Um, we've got a little bit deeper here on the line get to um we're going to kick it on over here in a second here and appreciate sean stevenson from browns digest joining us here this evening we'll get to the running back class here um everybody in cleveland's in the apparel business you guys know who my guys are zabo apparel craig and his family do a fantastic job they're not taking a quick story from the day and turn it into a t-shirt um lifelong fans go to road games uh their products are more appreciation of the Browns, whether it's the Higgins t-shirt, you know, doing the red carpet, you know, the Spanish hammer tribute t-shirt, the, the uh, just show up shirt, Zabel apparel. Make sure you're checking the folks out over there, over there. They do a fantastic job. Now look, uh, Sean, I think running back and we get some heat here for this with Kareem Hunt and look, it's, it's always a little something, and you never know when a shoe is going to drop. But now you see this class today, and the question is going to be how high these guys go. And it may be out of the Browns' reach because you would maybe say, oh, fifth round, maybe can snag a guy. Cleveland doesn't have a guy there. 
but the top guys showed out. Obviously, it hurts that J.K.A. Dobbins didn't work out today. I, I, I'm not sure the reasoning behind it. I think he would have had a nice workout. It seems all the running backs, everything played out well. DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, all look good. Cam Akers from Florida State, Anthony McFarland from Maryland. These are guys I love. If there's a way, maybe even if it's 90 or 105, because um, with Kareem, it's probably only going to be this year. It doesn't seem like this front office is going to get married to a guy that's going to keep them up at night. You know, a guy where you got to keep the cell phone closed because you're afraid the bad news are going to come in. But these running backs look good tonight, and it was the receiving aspect of it. And this is the one thing where you do worry about Nick as great as he is. Um, you're not sure where he's going to progress as a receiver, and it is something that Stefanski likes in this, you know, the offense that he's bringing here. And, look, it's not going to affect Nick. He's still going to get 300 carries a year, and he's going to get some balls thrown to him. But somehow, some way, they're probably going to want to sneak in some insurance for Kareem Hunt with, and it's a shame because he does do this well, but they're going to probably sneak in some sort of insurance of a mixed guy who can run routes and can take a carry or two. And for me, you know, Anthony McFarland or Cam Akers, you maybe want that guy who's just a little bit faster than Nick because Nick's going to run you over. And then maybe you want the guy who's going to run by you afterwards. Yeah. I was definitely looking uh, particularly at Cam Akers as well. He had some solid production when he was in college, at least showing, you know, catching passes out of the backfield. He could definitely run those routes and beat linebackers one-on-one coming out of the backfield, which is really important. And I feel like that's more of a marquee skill set that you want to look at coming into the draft. It's someone that can be that change of pace, but also be a solid third down back where you don't have to rely on Nick too much. I mean, obviously he did a lot in his rookie season. And then after Kareem came in, he started to – lower his numbers when it came down to third down situations but also partially that was on kitchens just mishandling his efficiency of being on the field but something like someone like you know benjamin from arizona state yep. possibly uh just like you said someone with speed now you know he only ran a four five seven but just in terms of getting out in space making a couple moves and feeling confident in their hands um that's definitely something that you want to want to add yeah, so there's going to be something here as far as the running back position. Um, Dontrell Hilliard, you know, Dearness Jackson, there's nothing here that's holding them anymore. I mean, whether it was the front office, whether it was co- the coaching staff, excuse me, um, there's nothing here anymore. So, I mean, look, Hilliard maybe has a shot, um, but it's, you know, I don't know if he's going to have enough time to impress anybody to for them not to pursue or at least look into, you know, dipping the feet here and with Kareem and you know the one incident where there was the alcohol in the car and some trace amounts of marijuana. I'm sure he was tested. We'll see what happens to it. And it's not good when there's video and audio of one of your players telling a police officer, please don't test me because I probably won't pass. That's not good. That's not right. good by any means whatsoever. So it does give you some pause and hesitation in that front. Um, um, but I do agree with you uh, uh, with, with Hilliard. It is a, it's it's even a tough sell for Hilliard. I don't I don't think Darius Johnson is really going to be back. He'll probably be back for training camp, but I don't see him having a long term future. Yeah. But even Hilliard's a tough sell because his main role of being a returner didn't really offer much. And I would much have Tavir Thomas back there returning kicks because at least he showed some willingness during the season. Like he told Mike Prefer to put him back there, and he kind of provided a little bit more spark in terms of his like acceleration and agility catching 
a kickoff return or maybe if they put him on punt return. But Hilliard just hasn't really provided enough in terms of production from that standard. Because if you're not going to really be getting on the field when you got Kareem Hunt, if he you know can figure out how to get out of his own way, that kind of really places, I would say, that running back position in the draft a little bit higher up than most people would expect with Kareem already being on the roster. Because in a situation, say if, you know, this new front office, they didn't bring him in, John Dorsey did. They want to give him a year. They give him just a simple contract since he's a restricted free agent. And just say the relationship doesn't work out. Kareem either has issues where he's not getting enough touches or some off-field issues. It's better to get that insurance policy now rather than knowing for sure I have to get this product or this player in this draft rather than being able to, you know, approach it with, best player available or, you know, get better depth options where essentially your tackles, you know, that's the, your highest need, maybe a safety, maybe a linebacker, but you have options within free agency and w- internally to answer those questions. So why not, you know, take a shot at a good third down change of pace back when you already know you have your foundational piece in Nick Chubb. Uh, and that's part of it. And, and this is what it is. I mean, and you look at the coming into this is in regardless as bad as it was at times last year, it's six and ten. You know, anybody comes in here, and if you, you know, you carry yourself and you have belief in yourself, well, I think I can change this to nine and seven minimum. So what do I need to do that? And it's, you know, do I need a little bit more of the running back position? Um, and it's also, look, there are holes here. You're not going to fix everything in one offseason. You're going to do your best, and it's going to come down to, well, you know, does, you know, yeah, we need a tight end, but I don't think we can fix it any way we slice it. So you know what? How can we fix that? Maybe let's get a little bit better here at the running back position where we don't have to worry about it. Jeff Lloyd, Sean Stevenson, rolling you through here on Locked On Browns. Day two of the combine, we went through the offensive line, the running back class. We got a fun one here that Sean wanted to get to. And actually, it's a pretty good point we'll get to here in a second. Um, if you have the Google Home and you just go on over and say, play me the latest Cleveland Browns news, it'll bring you out. And it'll be me. And it'll just be straight facts. Um, about day's events. Obviously, the combine has been huge here. You know, January, we covered all everything coaching-wise. Um, but the Google News hits of Locked On Browns, if you got Google Home, go ahead, check those on out. Um, quick hitter, something to do while you're either scrambling some eggs in the morning for breakfast or, you know, you just want to put it on because your kids predominantly, predominantly use it and you just want to annoy the living daylights out of them. Good stuff, guys. Now, Sean, this is one. Well, this is a good one here. Um, obviously, the talks have been out this week. You know, in Case Keenum, you understand the connecting of the dots, which is kind of usually where rumors come from. Or it's a Chase Daniel and Chase Daniel. This is who he is. It's you know, you travel around one two years, collect some really good money, um, and you be you know the second quarterback coach, the you know junior junior offensive coordinator. Um, Garrett Gilbert, we kind of thought he was going to be that guy last year. Who knows how that relationship essentially worked out? Or do you actually look at the backup quarterback position and say, hey, if there's a guy we really like and we really think he fits what we do, do we bring him in? Um, none of this changes anything on the thought process of Baker Mayfield. Um, I do believe if it's not Baker playing quarterback, it's probably not good and a not good scenario in any way whatsoever. But do you bring in yet one – and this is where I do get a little confused with it, and we're going to go back and forth a little bit. I get a little confused with is, you know, if you bring in Van Pelt, who's offensive coordinator by label 
and it seems more like he's quarterback coach. How many voices do you want to put around Baker, um, especially in year one, in which is now going to be his fourth offense in four years now? Um, so this brings up a good dilemma, a good topic of discussion. I feel you don't want to put too many voices, but I also think it comes down to how you really or how they really decide to approach the QB competition because there needs to be a competition in my opinion to obviously a lot of people understand that Baker Mayfield is the future of the franchise we wanted to be uh, obviously he went through a second year slump most quarterbacks do and he's obviously took it hard on the chin than most people because of the the talks and the brash nature that he has that kind of carried over through the offseason and then the performance that he gave last year but I don't want him to get too comfortable and that's one of the things that I've kind of felt coming into this season is that he was a, a little bit too comfortable where his, his ego was kind of boosted up a little bit. Obviously most people don't like to hear it. I'm not the biggest fan of the progressive commercials every single time during the game. I mean, the guy has a bad play, has an interception, you know, just something where the balls and getting dropped down the field. And the first thing I see is a progressive commercial. Um, <laughs> I want to see someone that can really come in there and challenge the mentality of Baker to bring out the best in him. Obviously, there's been some flotation going around of like, maybe we could bring in Marcus Mariota. I'm not the biggest fan of that proponent, but I at least want to bring someone in that doesn't just say, hey, this is going to be your mentor. It's, you know, your, you know, your year. I want someone that's going to be a legitimate competition for a little bit within camp to show, you know, Baker, we're, we're serious and about business. Everything's just not going to be handed to you on a silver platter. I think there's a way to get that point across um, and, and this is the thing, and this was probably where it got really weird for him. Look, Baker Mayfield has won everywhere in his life. And then he comes in as the number one overall pick. And, you know, keep in mind, you know, Tyrod started those first two games. And it was a tie against the Steelers and a loss against the Saints. Obviously, he started the Jet game and everybody, oh, well, you know, you give the win to Tyrod. No, uh, Baker came in. The Browns were losing. Baker went 7-7 seven and seven as a rookie on a team that was 0-16 the year before. So still, even, that is huge progress. I don't think Baker's really ever gotten a punch in the mouth. Last year, anybody on that team, Cleveland Browns-wise, it was a punch in the mouth. It was a step back. It was a collect yourself. You know, where who you are, are you doing what needs to be done? Are you truly one of 53 are you one of one, which means are you Baker Mayfield for Baker Mayfield? Are you Odell Beckham Jr. for Odell Beckham Jr.? Jarvis Landry. There needs to be the buy-in moment. And this will be the possibility of great success for Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, or it will be the absolute sinking of the battleship. But these players all need to understand it is no longer about the dollar signs. It's no longer about individual, and of course, it is certainly no more about commercials. It is about everybody getting on the same page because the talent that was in that room last year, and look, I agree, there were holes that showed up as the year went on. Miles suspension didn't help anybody in any way. But there was enough talent in that room that there should have been a January football game played. I agree. Let me ask you this. In the situation that they address the offensive line, obviously through the draft, through free agency, however they see fit, and Baker has 
I'll be nice. I'm going to play devil's advocate, obviously, but he has an average year at best, you know, a little bit below average, higher. Obviously, his standard should be higher compared to what he produced last year and obviously his rookie season. What do you do if he has that average season and he's not really showing those steps forward that you need to see in the third year? Well, that's where I think this is going to work out well for him because I think they're going to, as opposed to last year where it was, let's throw the ball all over the field. All right, this didn't work out well. And there was no rhyme or reason to the play calling. And uh, obviously a lot of this is predicated on the health of Odell and Jarvis. And how many games did we see where, all right, the Browns are down 13-3. And then there was a drive of eight plays where they gave the ball to Nick Chubb seven times. It's going to be more this year of we're going to get Nick going early and we're going to feed off of Nick. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the case last year. And I think it's always been where Nick was misguided. And this was the difference between what got Hugh out of here and Carlos Hyde out of here in 18, whereas let's use Nick Moore and we'll go from there. And it's always crazy to think that Baker was better in 18 with Rashard Perriman, Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, and that whole situation was just absolutely insane. And David Njoku, who played really well in the second half of 18. And then you go to 19 where – you know, Rashard Perriman wasn't here, and they weren't running vertical routes in 19. Uh, Rashard Higgins, that situation. David Njoku wasn't part of it. So everything he had kind of gotten comfortable with in 18 wasn't necessarily there in 19. And it just kind of got weird, and there was no carryover from what essentially got Freddie this head coaching job to where they ended up in 19 – I think John Dorsey just ended up throwing a whole bunch of names at the situation and it never gelled. I think and you hope, obviously, and it's going to be difficult with both guys coming back and nursing injuries and rehabbing how much they can gel. But you're going to hope there's a better plan in place where it's going to be. We're going to go with you know Nick Chubb and we're going to go with play action and two tight ends and which Baker excelled with another one in 18. I think the plan that this offense has should suit Baker better. If it doesn't, yeah, I mean, those are when the real big question marks are going to come. Yeah, I think he should perform well. I think it's 12 personnel when you run two tight ends, I believe. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. One is always running back. The second one would be, you know, obviously, you know, tight ends, you know, so. Yes. So uh, a lot more 12 personnel I definitely think will be beneficial for him. Um, obviously, all of last year and pretty much the – most of 18 when he played, he performs very well in play action and that RPO. Um, and I don't know how much RPO they're really going to um, uh, – I don't know how much they're going to implement within Stefanski's scheme, but we can't expect a lot of play action. And I really like the fact that his scheme is going to be based off of making the pass look like the run and the run look like the pass, which gives the defense a little bit more of a hesitation on their reads and kind of gives Baker Mayfield a little bit more time to really scan the field. And I think part of it also has to do with giving the offensive line a little bit more leeway where they're more of an attack position more than them being reactive. And I feel like that was one of the issues last year that was just really bad was more times than not, I feel like our offensive line was always on their heels and being reactive rather than kind of attacking the defense. And I think just generally how the offensive scheme is going to change Baker should definitely benefit from that, get him a little bit more on the move, some bootlegs. And that kind of goes to my point. I think that Case Keenum should really be that backup that they bring in. One, because he he's familiar with the system. 
And he's a similar build quarterback to Baker. So he really knows the ins and outs of how to make that system work for him. Well, the one where I like him is look at, you know, and everybody always thought, well, if your quarterback's down, at least Keenum comes in and he knows it. Chase Daniels, I mean, and Chase Daniel, it's, I mean, who are we kidding? It's, it's no different than the Drew Stanton days. He's here and, you know, his baseball hat fits better than his helmet. Um, he's here just for, hey, X's and O's, but, you know, it's going to be, if you bring Chase Daniel in, he doesn't have much familiarity with this offense. Keenum, he can at least give you the guy, if he's got to start, he kind of knows what's going on. Sean, this has been a pleasure here as we cover day two. We got to start to put a bow on this one here, but Sean, obviously, let everybody know where they can find all your work and everything you got going on. Yeah, so again, you guys can find me on Twitter. That's at Dog Check Radio. That's D A W G Check Radio. I do articles on Sports Illustrated Browns Digest. I really appreciate you having me on the show, Jeff. It was a great experience. Uh, hopefully, the Browns can figure out what they want. Uh, day three is coming up really soon. We really get to see some of the most important parts of the draft and, uh, Hopefully we can find some jewels and some diamonds in the rough this year. Ah, of course. And, uh, you know, for all the assistance Pete's given me over the years, and look, we've always got each other's back. And, you know, as, you know, the uh, program grows over at Browns Digest, always appreciated to, you know, help, uh, you know, the guys that were helping Pete here. It's, you know, look, we're family here. And, look, we keep it real. Good, and as Pete says, what is good? What's good is good. What's bad is bad. We got to get the facts. We got to be real about it. Guys, make sure you're checking out Sean at Dog Check Radio. The works over at um, Browns Digest, SI.com. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB on the LOB. Back tomorrow, day three of the NFL Combine. Let's go, Browns. Love you, Pete. Always good to kiss the boss's ass. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha, how you going, bro? You too.